Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of Rabbi Adam Klickfeld's weekly Rashi study class. To anyone who might be listening to this on the Temple Beth Am podcast, uh, we are in chapter 8 uh, of the book of Exodus, and I believe uh, did verse 19, and we're going to about to jump verse 20. 19 was the Samti Fadut, um, um, where God says, I'm going to place some kind of a separation between my uh, people and your people. And this is, of course, within the conversation that God tells Moshe to tell Pharaoh, right? So it's not actually God talking to Pharaoh. Tomorrow, this um, plague or this sign, but it means plague is coming. That was where we ended off. And now we're on verse uh, 20. Uh, Joel, do you want to read verse 20? Uh, maybe, maybe I should just do it today so that um, it's a little quicker. Uh, because the only I, you're only hearing me, I don't even need the mic, you're only hearing me from my computer. Okay. Mitzrayim, <clears throat> God did this, meaning God did as God had said God would have was going to do in the previous extended quotation marks, which interesting, if I'm not mistaken, all of that was God telling Moshe what to say to Pharaoh. I don't think we have a record of Moshe actually saying it to Pharaoh, right? Like if you go back to verse 19, it's Vayomer Adonai Moshe, God said to Moses, get up in the morning and stand in front of Pharaoh and say this. And all of that ends at the end of verse 19. We don't have the encounter this time actually taking place, but it's just that now we're being told that God did it, did so, not that Moshe did so, which is interesting. A heavy amount of arov, either understanding of the word that you have in mind, came. To the house of Pharaoh. Beta means the hay at the end of by it means to the, and the Pharaoh is because of Bumaf and Ahoy. The, the hay of Beta takes out the Dagesha Pharaoh. Uveit Abadav, and to the house of his servants, Uvechol Eretz Misraim, and upon all the land of Egypt, Tishachet Haaretz Mipnei Haarov. What's the What's the root of the meaning of the verb Tishachet? Sheshech. But what does it mean? To destroy. We had that in um, Parshat Noach. I talked a lot about that in my Shabbat Drash two weeks ago. Vatishachet Haaretz Hamas. Right, Mipnei Hamas. That it was. It was the the earth was being destroyed because of the presence of Hamas, in the face of or because of the arov, whether it's the wild beast or the uh, or the swarming animals. Um, Rashi um, is only interested in one aspect of the verse. For people who have not yet looked at the Rashi, which you probably just did because I pointed you there, anyone identify a part of the verse that needs attention, that is curious or that you're curious about? either a vo- vocab word or a grammar question or a content question. Because the, the storyline in verse 20 is pretty straightforward, right? This is the beginning of the uh, third plague, Dom, Dom, fourth plague, Dom's for day, fourth plague, right? The thing that Rashi has a question about is the word Tishachet, okay? Tishachet is what tense? Future, right? There's no vav in front of it, so it's not a vav aipuch. It's a future tense verb. 
But this is all, this is a past tense sentence within a past tense story. So the whole story is past tense, but it's not like we're in a part of the story where the Torah is saying, and this will happen, but rather God did so. And the Arov did come into all the houses. It should have said, um, um, that the earth was destroyed. Tishachet seems to be a future tense verb in a past tense uh, sentence. And that's what Rashi is curious about. Curious about. Joanne, I hear your hand up. Speak as loud as you can, because you're only going to be heard through my microphone on the computer. <clears throat> I'm, I'm also curious about Beta Paro. Why the hey at the end? Is it the hey like Safona Mitzrayma, which indicates towards? And why say that and not simply Beit Paro? Yeah, so, so the first part of your question is correct. It, it's a, sorry. Um, Who's pregnant? Uh, <laughs> uh, art, it, it's, um, it's, it's towards. And um, I guess you need a preposition that the that the verb lavo requires a preposition connecting the coming to the thing that it's coming to. So it could have been vayavo arov kaved el beit paro or levet paro. We could ask the question why, and I actually have no idea of the biblical grammar theory in this as to why why and when the Torah uses the hey at the end, which probably has a has a specific um, way of describing that hey. I forgot what it's called as opposed to the preposition. But the fact that a preposition is required, I think, uh, is pretty straightforward. But I hear Stevie having a suggestion. So, Stevie? Well, not a suggestion, just a confusion. One second, Joanna. <clears throat> yeah. That's only a part once, right? Uve Davada does not receive it. Right. Um, had it been a preposition, I'm thinking, Vayavo Arov Kaved El Beit Paro, would we have needed the El Beit Avadav, or would the El have gone through? Could go either way. Could go either way. So maybe the hay being turned in the L, the preposition of the L or the L of before Baya being turned into the hay takes care of all of the other nouns. I'm not sure. But Joanna, you seem to have another thought. No, that was exactly my question. One time, why one time beta and one time bait? Yeah. Let's be on the lookout the next time we have a sentence that has a preposition and several nouns attached to it, and if the Torah always carries the preposition through each time, like the Oxford comma, the Oxford preposition. Um, okay. Um, anything else in the verse before we look at Rashi's treatment of Batishachet, and his treatment is going to be very simple. Basically, he's going to say, yeah, it looks like that, but it doesn't mean that. But that's what he's concerned about in the verse. Okay. So look at Batishachet Aretz. Um uh, Joel, you got a forward Rashi. Oh, I, it was it was I. So I have a forward Rashi. Tisha aretz, he says. Nishchata aretz, he says. Yeah, it looks future. Guess what? It's past. And then he says, and even Uncleus understood it that way. It chabalat ara, and it chabalat in Aramaic is very certainly a past tense verb, not a future tense verb. And he's basically saying sometimes the Torah. Um, it's it's not only the case that the vav hayipuch changes what a verb actually looks like. Sometimes an actual um, past tense, future tense construction just has to be understood as a future as a past tense. And I think this also goes back to the fact that our modern and I suppose Rashi's medieval understanding of tense in general language is just different than the ancient one. Right? That it's 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 more of a concrete distinction in our minds than it was in the ancient world. And there was a fluidity of how verbs were used to describe 
uh, something in the past, present versus future. Okay, that's verse 20. Uh, Rick, please. Yeah, hi. I just I just looked at the English uh, in uh, verse 19. It talks about Tishachet, Rashi. Tishachet means the ground was being destroyed. The imperfect tense denotes what was then going on continuously. I don't know if that helps. You mean verse 20? No, no. In verse 19, in the Silverman, it's got this translation of Tishachet Haaretz. This is 19. I'm looking at it. After the Vesam Fadut. And then he did Tishachet Haaretz. Yeah, but that's, that's, 20, but that's okay. Omitted the 20 in parentheses that should be there in the book. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, okay. Right. Okay. That, so that's the commentary on 20. Yeah. It's going on continuously. Right. Right. The, the difference between, and this now we're getting into real Picayune grammar, the difference between an imperfect and a perfect version of a past tense verb, a perfect version of a past tense verb meaning something happened and it's over, and an imperfect, it's so hard to, des- I've never been good at describing this in English words, but yeah. it had happened or it, it it was happening and it might mm-hmm. it might still be happening from the perspective of the voice in the text, right? Mm-hmm. We don't think it's still happening as we're reading it, but the text saying like, in the moment it 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 happened ongoing and something like that, like the imperfection of that past tense verb, I know this sounds weird, denotes a certain future ongoing action. And that's why it might have been Tisha Chay, like, um, and, 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 and through all of the, and, and Pharaoh's house and his servant's house and, and the and land of Israel, um, it it, it 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 was continuing to happen that the earth was being destroyed by the Arov, and that's why it might have required or called for a verb that looked future, something like that. Alan, let's do it loud. Yes, in the in the Saperstein uh, edition, it says some editions of Rashi read this means the land was being destroyed, as Targum Ogilus renders it in the past tense, and it says et kabbalat are. Uh, and I'm looking at the Onkelus in here, and it says, it starts off with Mit Chabalat, and then it says, Nun Aleph is Rashi Tevot. Nun Aleph means Nusach Acher, a different version. A different version is Et Chabalat. Aha. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, or yeah, actually, Et Chabalat. Uh, yeah, let's leave it there. I think we've we've plumbed it enough, but um, I'm yeah, not sure. I just, I, just was surprised to see that. Yeah. Okay, verse verse 21. Vayikra Faro El Moshe Ul Aharon Vayomer Lechu Zivru Lewechem Baaretz. So the third pl- fourth plague has done its um its work. Pharaoh um called to Moses. Ha, huh, here we have the uh prep the double preposition. El Faro Ul Aharon, although it's interesting, the preposition changes. Right, it's it's not El Moshe El Aharon. It's El Moshe Ul Aharon. So El and and Le are similar, but not the exact same words. So it's interesting here. We're we're now like attuned to this as we read through. Rabbi, yeah, says that there's a hyphen between El and Moshe. What's the purpose of that? Would that have an impact on the grammar? El doesn't have its own trope. If there's a hyphen, yeah, tropistically means it's a single word. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 
And and also, by the way, that changes the vowel because um, if L were its own word, its own trup, it would have a tsere, a hard, a, a long A because a closed, stressed uh, syllable takes a long vowel. But since this is now an unstressed syllable in a three-syllable word to get really nitty-gritty, the vowel changes from a, a long A to a short E. Um, so Pharaoh said to Moses, Aaron, and Pharaoh called them and said to them, or said, I added it to them, go and, and slaughter, right, offer an offering to your um, God, Ba'aretz, Ba'aretz, in the land. Questions, comments on the verse, Elon, and just project. Okay, how's this? Good. Are you hearing him when he projects? Good. Uh, what... Do it like uh, SNL, you know, news for the hard of hearing. Yeah. <laughs> Our top story tonight. <laughs> what is meant by in the land? Right. That's the clear question, right? Because in 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 certainly in colloquial modern Hebrew, when I when you say Aniholech El Haaretz, we're saying where are we going? Israel. Land of Israel, right? Now that's a modernism, right? In fact. Israelis sometimes don't even use the word Israel. They say, you know, I'm returning to the land. They often don't say, I'm returning to the state of Israel, just the land, right? Um, That is not necessarily a biblical construction, but it's still ambiguous. Because what do we think Pharaoh was saying to them, go and slaughter in the land? What is the land? Let's throw out some possibilities. So it could be in this land, right? Meaning, meaning the intention, meaning do it, like do your offering here, but I'm not letting you go, right? Mm-hmm. What else? Could mean like go out of the city, go out there, you know, find a field. Okay, so so I'm not letting you go as far as you want to go, but you certainly can't do it here. So go out into like almost like the wilderness. Anyone else, Stevie? Whatever was Tishachated. <laughs> Right. The land, the land that was just smitten. Right? Interesting. Like that land. Right. Redeem it with your sacrifices. Very nice. So we have in the previous verse, Haaretz. So we're at whatever that Aretz was referred to, you go and do your magical thing out there to undo what our land is experiencing. Interesting. Yeah. I hadn't thought about that. Okay. Um, before nice. we look at Rashi, look back to chapter five, verse three. How about you just tell them? <laughs> Just look back. Just keep a, keep a hand there. Um, so, um, chapter 5, verse 3. This is one of the first encounters back in Parshat of Moshe and Aaron to Pharaoh. Right? Verse Chapter 5, 1, that Moses and Aaron came and they said to Pharaoh, this is what God had said to us, release my people and they will um, uh, celebrate to me in the desert. <laughs> Pharaoh said, who is God that I should listen to God's voice such that I'm going to dispatch Israel? Um, I don't know this God, and I don't, and, and nor will I let Israel go. And they said back to him, meaning Moses and Aaron, the God of the Hebrews has called out upon us. Uh, let us go. Three-day journey into the wilderness, similar to what Stuart said. And there we will offer offerings to God um, um, it's interesting for you I hadn't thought about this in a long time lest um, lest a, a plague or a sword come upon us I think the suggestion there meaning we're not going to do it in your presence we're going to do it 
in isolation far away from you, right? So Rashi is about to say something that is at least an allusion to this verse, that the so far the hovering request by Moses and Aaron is not yet um, is not yet let us go and we're going to the land of Canaan and we're never coming back. Let us go out to the outskirts beyond the center here, do our sacrifice, and we'll come back. Right. So with that in mind, uh, Rashi says on Tishachet, no, Zavchulahem Ba'aretz, Bimkomchem. In your place, right? What might, be, what might that be a reference to? Where do, they, where do the Jews live? Is Hebrews live? Goshen. Goshen, right? Stay in your area, Ba'aretz, in the land that you live on, under, is, the, is the addition. Velo telchu bamidbar. Don't go out to the desert, meaning it's a partial <laughs> acquiescence. Okay? Your God is really, I, I'm understanding, this God really wants you to sacrifice to God. I've, I've suffered four plagues. I'll let that happen. Rashi says, don't read this as Rashi, as a Pharaoh saying, I relent to the maximum of what you've requested so far. The maximum of what you requested so far is to go three-day journey out into the, into the wilderness and sacrifice. They have not yet requested, let my people go, you know, all the way. And Pharaoh's saying, I'm giving you a, a, a half answer. You can do your sacrifices here. I'm going to call your bluff. Is the most important thing in sacrifice. Sure, but Ba'aretz, in, in, in this land or in the part of the land that you o- occupy. Uh, Rick, is your hand up again or still? No, again, um, I was going off the Vayikra at the beginning. I, I looked back to see um, how Pharaoh talked to Moses and Aaron before. Uh, back in verse 4, same chapter eight, verse mm-hmm. four. It starts again. Vayikra faro, more intense uh, trope. The Kadmaviyazla. There's also Lemoshe Ula Haron there, just right. to throw that in. Double and then at the same preposition, right? Yeah, and then at the end, it's Vayizbechu Ladonai instead of Elohechem. And I wanted to ask you, um, Elohechem is that plural? Your God, if Pharaoh was thinking gods or plural, is Lelohechem here in our verse? Is that singular or plural? Isn't it plural? It's both plural. The word Elohim is a is plural, plural anyway. Yes, your God. The Chem is plural possessive. So yours, God, yes. So plural slaughter plural to your plural God, meaning to the God of all of you. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You're right that um the Torah puts in Pharaoh's mouth both the generic version of the name of God Elohim and the inside version of the name of God back in the verse that you showed us uh, to 84 Adonai. So it, the Torah posits God <laughs> the Torah posits Pharaoh knowing both names for God, right? The, the the what we would consider the God of judgment and the God of Rachamim, uh the God that is formed from the Hebrew word that just means divinity versus our God, yud the Torah has Pharaoh using both of those somewhat interchangeably. Maybe they imagine that Pharaoh learned those words from Moshe in the interactions. Exactly. Redactors. Different redactors. Yeah, the, uh, J-E-P-D. Okay, uh, anything else in verse 21? All right. Moving right along, our shortest class ever is going to be a most productive class. Uh, <laughs> verse 22. 
Vayomer Moshe, Moses responds to Pharaoh's uh, having spoken to Moses and Aaron. Lo, this is a very interesting verse, as opposed to all the other ones, which are totally uninteresting. Lo nachon lasodkein. It's not proper to do this. Look how the word nachon and the word kain, right? They're two words apart, and they may even be built from the same root. So nachon, uh, which we don't think of what it, it's etymology, when we use it in modern Hebrew, it just means right. It, it either is built from the same root from which we get muhan, ready, readiness, or from the root kain, which means in modern Hebrew, yes, but it can mean um, such. such, right, uh, and, and, and proper. And it may be that those two roots are from the same root, right? Um, but it's interesting that it's used uh, uh, so close to each other here. How does Uncle render that? Lo takain lemeved kain. Interesting. So Uncle does not read Nachon and Cain from the same root or doesn't care that he's translating them into different roots. He uses the Aramaic Cain, which is interesting that he doesn't use the more Aramaic version of the word Cain, which is Hain. Hainun is the Aramaic way of saying yes. But he changes Nachon to Takain from the root Tikkun, meaning fixed, something which has been proper, right? But what he's saying is, it is not, it's not right, it's not acceptable uh, to do this. What I want you to think about as I translate this verse is to whom is Moses speaking? Moses says, it's not right to do this. For it is, or because it is the to'eva of Mitzrayim. It's a really hard phrase in that, you know, the, 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 um, the double way that a possessive phrase can be understood. It could be whatever to'eva is, it could be... It, the something that the Egyptians consider to be a toiva or the Egyptians toiva that's something that they that they are in possession of toiva is understood generally in what as what way in English abomination. abomination a detestable thing right the Torah uses it to describe many things that uh, we sh- that the Torah did not want us to be doing um, it's from a root um, uh, Taf ayin bet, which we have in the end of the Ashamnus, Tiavnu, right? To usually to yearn for something that is considered unacceptable, right? It's a to'eva for me of Mitzrayim that we are, Nizbach, slaughtering, sacrificing to God, Adonai our God. Hein Nizbach et to'evat Mitzrayim, something like, behold, we will slaughter the to'eva of Egypt, le'enehem, in front of their eyes, velo yiskalunu, and they will not stone us. What punctuation should we put at the end of that phrase? <laughs> Question mark, right? It seems to be an interrogative, like a, what? You think we're going to slaughter something that is a to'eva to them in front of their eyes and they're not going to slaughter us? Which makes us really wonder, how is the word to'eva being used? Is the thing that we're slaughtering a toiva, or is the fact that we're slaughtering it a toiva? If this thing that we're slaughtering is a toiva, I'm going to build an if on an if, and if toiva is something detestable, why should it bother them? If the slaughtering is is the is the toiva, then it must be that we're slaughtering something that is revered by them, right? Or just to set up the Rashi, toiva can mean both simultaneously, something detestable and something that other people revere, but the fact that they revere it 
we consider that to be detestable, right? So imagine, trying to think of a modern analog. Um, I, I guess we could just stay in the realm of idolatry, right? If if we consider Torah to be a real revolution against the notion of idolatry, then we can refer to idolaters' idols as a detestable thing because it's detestable to us. Be it's detestable to us because they revere it, because they consider this stone idol to have any power. <laughs> if we said that to them, they would consider that to be rather insulting. <laughs> if we said it to us, it's our way of, in, in just describing the object of their worship, we are actually reinforcing our own theology, mm -hmm. right? So all of those are possibilities here. I'm not saying which one is right, but how we understand to'eva impacts why it might be a problem for us to do the sacrifice in front of their eyes. So let me pause there and see any reactions to what I said or the words themselves, because Rashi is going to uh, going to go deep into this a bit. Alan, I just wanted to share a something. little louder. I just wanted to share something about the word nachon and what the the root is. Okay, I really think it's kavavdun. Kun, yeah. not just for the for the cane. There's a, a midrash I learned from David Nimmer many years ago. Talks about prayer. When you're dealing with prayer, the first thing that you have to do is get Wuhan. You have to be ready. And when you're ready, then you can go and 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 pray with Kavana, mm. with intention. Mm. And once you've done, you've gotten ready and you prayed, then your prayers will be Nachon. It will be correct. And all of Wuhan, Kavana, and Nachon is Kafavner. That's that's really lovely and rich, Alan. Thank you. And and <clears throat> Once you start thinking about words that may or certainly are built from that root, you realize it's a very big family, right? Lehit um, konein, to like be prepared to do something, is could be in, from the very word from which we get nachon. Uh, another one came to mind um, as you were talking, but I, I've lost it. But yes, it could be that those are all very related, and that's a, that's a lovely way of thinking about tefillah, so thank you for that. Anything else on this verse where we look at Rashi? Or your thoughts about what to'eva might mean. It's complicated because even, you know, these keys are also uh, ambiguous because key can mean because, key, key can be such that it, it's hard to know how to construct it all together. Um, I can't show this, I can't show the screen, but I'll just have to read it out loud to everyone in the room, the different translations of this verse. But while I'm pulling that up, Norm, go ahead. Um, I think... The word toeva is loaded, especially because we usually translate it as abomination in English. And abomination sounds like it's just a really terrible thing. But I think in many contexts, maybe all, it just means it's distasteful. They don't, they don't really like it. It's not that it's really so awful. It's just that most people find it distasteful. Right. So, so if they find it distasteful, then all of a sudden the syntax is odd because he's saying that a dis the, the the distasteful thing of Egypt, we are sacrificing to God. But the problem from the Egyptians' perspective would not be that we would be sacrificing a distasteful thing, but that our sacrificing it is distasteful. Yes. Right? So the, the word may be operating um, in two ways at the same time. Let me read you some of the translations. This is Everett Fox's translation of the verse. I can't put it up there because we're not connected, but I'll just, uh, people on Zoom are Seeing it out, you'll just have to hear it in the room. Moshe said, it would not be wise, that's the Nachon, to do thus wise, Cain. What I love about that is that he's playing in English 
mm-hmm. on Nachon and Cain being built from the same word, but with this word wise. I think that's, that was very wise of him. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Um, and he, there's even a note in the uh, in the Everett Fox that people on the screen can see. He bolds wise and thus wise. And then he writes uh, Nachon dot 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 Cain. So he's he's telegraphing to the person reading it. I'm, I'm do, that's it's an intentional um, uh, uh, translation there. It would not be wise to do thus wise for Egypt's abomination. Again, Egypt's abomination can mean two things. <laughs> an abomination owned by Egypt or the fact that we are doing this is an abomination to Egypt. For Egypt's abomination is what we sacrifice to our God. <laughs> so the way he translates it is the way the verse says it. But that's odd. If we're sacrificing something that is an abomination to Egypt, they should cheer us on. Well done for sacrificing our abomination. I won't tell you, give you his note yet, because that will wait for Rashi. For Egypt's abomination is what we sacrifice to our God. If we were to sacrifice Egypt's abomination before their eyes, would they not stone? Again, that would make more sense if if we were to sacrifice Egypt's revered thing before their eyes, would they not stone? So the presence of the word abomination in that verse is challenging. Uh, we do Koran translation. And Moshe said, it is not proper so to do. So they're not playing in the English on the Nachon and Cain. For we shall sacrifice the abomination of Mitzrayim to the Lord our God. That part is similar to Fox. Lo, that's the the Hain, behold. Shall we sacrifice the abomination of Mitzrayim before their eyes and they will not stone us? Maintaining the oddity in the verse that the thing we are sacrificing is the abomination, not the fact that we're sacrificing it. JPS. But Moses replies, it would not be right to do this. For what we sacrifice to the Lord our God is untouchable to the Egyptians. That's moving in a different direction. It's suggesting that to'eva doesn't just mean something detestable, but something... Above and beyond. <laughs> right. The reason why it might be detestable is you shouldn't touch it. But another reason you may want to not touch it is that it's revered. It's holy. If we sacrifice that which is untouchable to the Egyptians, some animal that they revere before their very eyes, will they not stone us? And then last one that I'll share with you. This is the, where is he? The Charles Kahana one. But Moses said, it is not proper that we should offer as a sacrifice in Egypt. He's now in, um, trans, not transliterating, uh, paraphrasing, not translating. Is it, not, it is not proper that we should offer as a sacrifice in Egypt the sheep, which is the idol of Egypt. The word sheep does not appear in the verse. Mm-hmm. But he's converting, impacted a little bit by Rashi, the word to'eva into into an animal that they revere, and I'm adding on to him, and since they revere it, we consider it to be detestable. Go back to my question I asked before, whom is Moses speaking to in this verse? Um, To the Eternal, our Almighty, if we sacrifice the idol of Egypt in the presence of the Egyptians, will they not stone us? So two major thrusts, keeping the oddity of the verse that we're sacrificing something they consider to be detestable, that's what the grammar says, and therefore they'll not, not stone us, or we're using the word toiva to reference something that they revere, and then makes more sense the content. Of course, they're going to be angry at us if we sacrifice something they revere. Joel Norm, and then I unfortunately have to go to a funeral. Okay, I think you're doing a little bit of well, there's a little bit of presentism here. Okay. Um, well, you think that that sacrificing something is going against what your sacrifice is. Well, actually, to them, I think they were honoring it. If you 
you take the most perfect animal to sacrifice to God, you're mm. honoring the animal, you're not detesting the animal. So mm. we would think it would be an abomination to take a pig and put it on, on the altar. Because it's detestable to us, and therefore we don't want to put it on something that's holy. Uh-huh. So, okay, I, I accept that. So then make sense of why Moshe is saying they will be angry at us for doing this. They will be... They, they either could be angry as a uh, Hindu would be angry if we sacrificed a cow, or as a Jew would be angry if we put a pig on a holy altar. And the Hindus would be angry because how dare you sacrifice our... Well, only we get to... That's the way you were interpreting it. Right. And I'm saying or it could be that it's a disgusting animal, and therefore, or the whole practice is disgusting, uh-huh. and therefore they would, they would stone us for doing that. Uh-huh. So... You can't sacrifice that animal, only we can. No, no one should sacrifice the animal. It's a disgusting animal. But in the first one... In the first one, yes. Right, like, uh, you can't do that to our pledges, only we can do that to our pledges. (laughs) Norm. I I don't think we find sheep to be a toyota. Sheep get sacrificed, they get slaughtered, they get kashered, they get cooked and eaten. Um, And what we find abominable is their treatment of sheep as being divine in a way that other animals and people aren't. Right. And so what exactly is abominable to whom is, is unclear. And, you know, our thought is we sacrifice a good animal. I don't know, you know, we, we can assume Egyptians were the same, but I don't think that's a good assumption. The, and Toga's not here. Um, <laughs> Egyptians may well have have not sacrifice sheep because they were considered a holy animal to them and only sacrificed goats. Yeah. Um, because sheep are too important to sacrifice and their method of sacrifice might involve burning it to a crisp and not being able to eat it. Yeah. Unlike our sacrifice. So it's just hard to say. The idea, though, that they will find our form of worship to be abominable and will sow us is something we can easily understand, and the idea that we find their religious practices abominable, we can also easily understand. The details don't matter. (laughs) Very helpful comment that we have not resolved the ambiguity, nor will we have resolved it after we finish Rashi. I'm not even sure Rashi thinks he's resolved it, and but we still have enough material to kind of have the meta conversation as to what happens when you have two people who do religion differently and how how they might react when someone else does either their religion in your presence or appropriates your religion in their presence. I'm thinking of the, and with this last sentence, of the very strong and very opposing reactions we had, even in our community. One of the times when we've had an iftar, we've hosted our friends at the Pacific Institute uh, during Ramadan, where we've had a program, and then um, towards the end of a fast day, we've actually done it a few times overlapping with one of our fast days, depending what time of year it is, sometimes like, we've got a fast day too, right? Um, and we've opened up Pilch Hall to, and they've done Mariv, their version of Mariv. And um, and we've, some people have like, we're, we're watching them, not like gawking, but to be witness to their tefillah, right? So uh, there were a lot of non-reactions too, but each time we've done it, I've gotten very strong reactions, right? And you can imagine, some are saying, what a beautiful thing to see the brotherhood and sisterhood of peaceful Muslims in our building, feeling safe to pray in our buildings and watching their 
faith and their their humility, how they pray. Like this is not an abomin, this is not a desecration of Pilchal. This is an elevation of Pilchal to be Beiti Beit Filati Lachol Hamim. That my 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 temple should be a house of worship for all people. And how disgusting, Rabbi, that you allow foreign worship in our synagogue. Right? I actually understand both reactions. Right? I made a decision that I we were going to do the former. I understand both reactions because both reactions are a natural way of responding to another people doing their version of worship in your midst. It's not exactly the same as going on here, but it's the same overarching conversation. There's more to say. We can start right here next week. I have to go to Hillside. Next week, two weeks. Two weeks. You said no. Two weeks. Yes. No thank you. Two weeks. Two Is that weeks. next week already? Yes. yes. Correct. Two weeks. Bye, everyone. Sorry for the uh, technological issues. See you around. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.